mindcoolness.com. Let's get it. This is Dom from mindcoolness.com. And yeah, today is my second podcast ever. And I thought actually, yeah, since I've written only five blog posts in July, I, yeah, I thought I'm just gonna, yeah, read those blog posts out loud. So it's really, again, no new content whatsoever. Just the medium is different that I'm now gonna read my, yeah, blog posts, the five ones that I, written in July. Yeah, in July I started um, my business officially, so I had to do all this law uh, stuff. I had to implement my web shop and yeah, I started, uh, yeah, I got a new job and I moved to back to my hometown and all this stuff. And yeah, also translated my book into German so that I could also sell it on Amazon, so there was a lot of shit going down in July. So that's why I've only written five blog posts. And yeah, today I'm gonna talk about them. The topics are going to be activity workstations, improve mood and motivation, how to control your anger in five steps, how thinking about food affects eating behavior, and how anger arises in your body. Oh, and wait for it. Personal experience is unre- as unreliable as science. So yeah, some stuff about eating and about emotions, some more theoretical stuff about um, yeah, measuring your own progress and yeah, some quite practical stuff. At yeah, activity uh, about activity workstations. And that's the post I'm gonna start with. Activity workstations improve mood and motivation. We know that sitting too much makes us physically weak, chronically sick and posturally ugly. Not me though, I work out. I get my compensation. Holy fuck, I, yeah, I'm way too stupid to read in English. Yeah, without, no, yeah. Whatever. So again, we know that sitting too much makes us physically weak, chronically sick and posturally ugly. Not me though, I work out, I get my compensatory movement four times a week. Well, this doesn't matter. Okay, it does, but way less than you think. Even two hours of exercise every day can't compensate for sitting more than four daily hours. And the US average is 13 hours a day spent sitting. If you have a traditional desk job, sedentary study habits, or too much time to waste sitting in front of a TV or computer screen, your health suffers and your life expectancy shortens, no matter how athletic you are. As Dr. Kelly Sterrett writes in his new book, Deskbound, sitting, quote, Sitting for as little as two continuous hours increases the risk of heart disease, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, cancer, back and neck pain, and other orthopedic problems. End quote. Sitting is a new smoking and exercise cannot reverse the bodily damage caused by too much sitting. 
there is only one way out, move more. Activity workstations like standing desks or stationary bikes with a desktop can help you implement this lifestyle principle. In a recent study, June Pilcher and Victoria Baker from Clemson University investigated the potential immediate benefits of an activity workstation. They assigned 38 university students to either an activity or a sedentary group. Those in the sedentary group performed two cognitive tasks, a test of verbal logical reasoning and a nonverbal reasoning test. And then they filled in some questionnaires while sitting at a traditional test uh, desk. Whereas those in the activity group performed the same tasks while sitting at a fit desk. So that's some kind of a desk where they sit actually at a stationary bicycle. So they're pedaling um, while they're doing those cognitive tasks and filling in the questionnaires. And yeah, they had a, yeah, they could pedal the bike at a comfortable and slow pace. And the results, well, using the stationary bicycle didn't impair cognitive performance, but it enhanced positive feelings, mood, motivation, and moral. Personally, I use a standing desk for all my computer work, and I feel a lot better because when you stand, you automatically move more. Even now, as I'm recording, this podcast in front of my microphone and in front of my laptop, I'm standing at my, well, actually it's not really a standing desk. It's just, a, how I call it in English, a cabinet, just, yeah, um, piece of furniture where you put all your shit in. Um, and yeah, I'm just standing here with my laptop and my mic on top of it. Yeah, so I use it personally and even if you don't care about your cardiovascular and metabolic health, your muscular or orthopedic well-being or even how long you live. Moving how long you live. Yeah, that's better spelling, right? Right? Moving more by day will make you happier also. So it really has a plethora of different uh, positive benefits and the only negative thing about um, yeah, standing while working or having an activity workstation is really just that it feels this um, yeah it doesn't feel as comfortable at the beginning but yeah I mean that's where you have willpower for to put yourself into yeah discomfort and endure it that's what makes you tougher what strengthens you in the long term so the more you move during work the more joyfully and more motivated you will work and how can this not enhance your life quality and productivity so get yourself an activity workstation um yeah if you want to look how this fit desk um, looks like then i've got some links uh, yeah, on my mindfulness blog in the post, activity workstations improve mood and motivation. And yeah, check out, definitely check out the book uh, Deskbound by Kelly Sterrett, who also wrote um, 
think Becoming a Subtle Leopard, which is also an awesome book on mobility and uh, strength performance and stuff like that. And yeah, Deskbound, the book also covers a lot about mobility work and also how to choose um, yeah, the perfect activity or standing desk. Now let's move on to the next blog post, how to control your anger in five steps. Having willpower means that you're able to control your emotions. Only with mindfulness will you not become a slave to your impulses when someone angers you. You can exert willpower to develop mindfulness in the heat of the moment by following these five steps. Step one, breathing. Breathe deep into your lower belly. Breathe through your nose or mouth. Whichever works best for you, it really doesn't matter. And breathe in for four seconds, hold for four, breathe out for eight, and repeat three times. So step one, breathing. Step two, awareness. Feel the anger spreading through your breathing body. Feel it in your hands, feel it in your jaw, your neck, your face. Feel it pulsating in your blood. So again, step one, breathing. Step two, awareness. Step three, visualization. Imagine the anger as an evil virus. Imagine how your powerful nervous system attacks the virus. Imagine your anger being electrocuted by neurons firing in your brain. Again, step one, breathing. Step two, awareness of the anger. Step three, visualization of the anger and visualizing how it's being electrocuted by your nervous system. Step four, reappraisal. Be grateful to the person who has angered you for, your challen for challenging your composure. Be grateful for this opportunity to exercise your willpower. Be grateful for this opportunity to grow. So yeah, if someone angers you, that's your chance, that's something good. The obstacle is the way, as Ryan Holiday would say, with the title of this book, of course. So again, step one, breathing. Step two, awareness of the anger in your body. Step three, visualization of the anger in your body and how it's getting murdered by your nervous and by your neurons firing. Step four, reappraisal of the anger. Your anger is a challenge to overcome. It's an opportunity to grow. And finally, focus. Step five, focus. Think about your core values. Focus on your life principles. Now act upon them. If you wanna, yeah, do or just um, make a point if you want to put your foot down if yeah you really not want to get pushed over or just want to show the person who angers you why he did something wrong or what he did wrong then tell him but tell him without your emotions your emotions are out of the game you use the five steps the five steps of again breathing 
awareness of anger in your body, visualization of anger in your body, reappraisal of the anger and focus on what really matters. If you do that, so at, at first you find back to yourself, then you eliminate the anger, then you reappraise the whole situation and finally you focus with mindfulness on what needs to be done. And what does need to be done? Well, you'll find the answer when you look at your principles. So for example, when a woman keeps you or a girl you've, you're meeting up with on a date keeps you waiting, then yeah, you wait. But yeah, maybe for at most five minutes or so. And you don't actually wait because when you're waiting, you're living or yeah, yeah, you're thinking about the future and you're not living in the present moment. So don't wait, but just be fully present in the moment. Just enjoy yourself while you're, I don't know, standing or sitting around. If she then arrives after five minutes or so, do not wait for more than five minutes, just leave. But if she arrives after five minutes or so, just tell her what's up. You're not angry at her. You don't um, complain or do anything. You just say to her that you will never wait for her again. And that she, uh, yeah, if she's not in time next time, then you're not going to be there anymore. But it's not going to be a threat. It's just going to be a very perfectly neutral statement of your principle. And then you immediately or already before should even be better. Um, yeah, you just be in the moment, appreciate that she's here and enjoy yourself with her and make her feel wanted. So your anger doesn't really come up. And if it does come up, you know how to prevent it or you know how to deal with it. But what really matters is that you focus on your values, on your principles, and you act upon them without um, getting fueled by your anger, but yeah, getting fueled by your true will. And if you want to learn more about yeah, how this works and yeah, how pride, ah, I'm not gonna um, market my book here again. Because yeah, actually, I see that in this post, yeah, I ended it with some yeah with with mentioning my book, which I've done with a lot of my my last few posts. So yeah, I'll try not to integrate all those marketing endeavors in my podcast here. I mean, of course, you should know by now that I've written the book, Willpower Condensed, and if you want to check it out. Um, get a free sample on my um, website, mindcoolness.com, or just buy it right there via PayPal. But now let's move on to the third blog post. How thinking about food affects eating behavior. If you think about eating gummy bears repeatedly, you will eat less gummy bears. Sounds odd. It's true. Let me explain. And it has nothing to do with the nature of gummy bears. Typically, when you think about food or when marketers make you think about food, you desire to eat, your desire to eat that food 
increases along with your appetite. The power of the mind, right? And it's not just mental. Thinking about food also prepares your body physiologically for eating and digesting through a production of gastric juices and saliva, hormonal responses, etc. As nutritional scientists have found, however, this only works below a certain threshold. If you imagine, if you imagine eating gummy bears just once or a couple of times, you'll likely eat larger amounts when you get the chance to binge on them. Yes, but if you imagine eating gummy bears 30 times in a row with the utmost vividness, focusing for 15 seconds per repetition on how the gummy bears look, smell, what their texture is like, as well as on the expected eating experience, then you will habituate and in effect eat smaller amounts. Habituation effects were first discovered by Morvich and colleagues in 2010 and have since been replicated with different foods, including M&Ms, cheese cubes, gummy bears and walnuts. When people imagined themselves eating these foods three times, they'd consume more afterwards. When they imagined themselves eating these foods 18 to 36 times, they would habituate and thus consume less compared to others who, for example, imagined themselves uh, throwing coins in a laundry machine 18 to 36 times. And how much less? Well, about 20 to 25 percent. Bear in mind, though, that habituation to food is a cognitive process based particularly on memory processes. Mental fatigue, distraction and lack of focus will impede your mental imagery's habituation effects, leading you to consume more food after all. Misbach and colleagues tested this in 2014 by instructing some of their subjects to count backward from 1000 in multiples of seven while standing on only one leg before they started the mental imagery task. This cognitive pre-exhaustion undermined the habituation effect such that people ate more walnuts no matter whether they had previously imagined themselves eating walnuts 18 times in a row or not. Others, however, who completed a less taxing task, like counting backwards from 500 in multiples of 5 while standing on both legs, ate less walnuts if they had previously imagined themselves eating them 18 times in a row. So they did habituate, because they had the cognitive resources to do so, still available. Interestingly, habituation is a purely objective or behavioral phenomenon. It won't reduce your subjective feeling of hunger, it won't elevate your feeling of fullness, but it will make you eat less. And how can you apply these findings to your food-related willpower challenge, if you have one? Quite simple. Be aware of the specific foods you enjoy eating just a bit too much. When you're about to go on a binge, start to vividly imagine the sensory characteristics of the food. Imagine how the food looks like, smells, imagine its texture, solidity and so forth. And imagine how its consumption will feel like. Imagine how you grab the food, how you move 
your hand toward your opening mouth's mouth whose cavity gets moistened moistened by um, mucous glands how you press your teeth and lips together how you use your jaw and tongue what sensations you experience etc etc imagine every detail as carefully and thoroughly as possible the sharper your focus and the more vivid your imagination the better it will will work and the sooner you will habituate and the more control you will have once you start eating after imagining eating the, f the food several times multiple times in a row this will work particularly well when you overeat certain foods foods due to a need for sensory stimulation especially people who eat overeat out of boredom will benefit a lot from this technique all right then let's move on to the next blog post again about anger this time how anger arises in your body <clears throat> have you ever thought about how anger arises in your body think about an incompetent co-worker who keeps making the same mistakes without learning from them think about a presumptuous customer who overbearingly states his stupid complaints Think about your girl who's gotten into a nagging game. Think about some chick who's way too much into you and demands way too much of your time. Think about anyone who gets on your nerves or pisses you off. I realized that I never get angry immediately, not without my conscious, deliberate choice. When someone annoys me, I want to get rid of that person. Yet, as we all know, verbal communication has little actual effect on other people's behavior. People don't listen to words. If you want to get rid of someone over whom you have no structural power, that you can yeah, literally force him out of your way without any repercussions, you can't just speak as you always speak. You must use nonverbal cues. You must use a certain volume and tone of voice certain gestures, certain gazes. Telling someone to just go away won't work if it doesn't sound like you mean it. Go away. <laughs> that almost sounded like I'm gonna start to cry. <laughs> okay, let's try again. Go away. Ah, I don't know if that sounds good. Well, but that will make someone more likely or will some that will make someone go away more likely so if you say go away as compared to go away then that's definitely a huge difference and it will make an impact on how the person reacts and in any case you must express not just words but emotions and that's what we do anyways but we can deliberately manipulate that and in particular you could express or I wrote here you must express anger when someone angers me I don't automatically get angry but I express my anger through my voice and my body language in order to communicate to the person that he or she is doing something I do not appreciate my expressed anger is not a knee-jerk reaction but a deliberately chosen action intended to achieve a certain goal the goal is to make the other person shut up, go away, or stop wasting my time. Here's the catch, though. 
when I repeatedly express anger, for example by talking in an unsub... I really have to, to learn that. For example, by talking in an un upset voice, I'm gradually building up a feeling of anger in my body. So if you're talking angry all the time, as I'm doing not right now, then you'll gradually feel up, build up a feeling of anger in your body. Yeah, and I'm repeating myself over and over again. What the fuck? Well, so instead of just expressing the emotion of anger, using it as a means to make a point, my acting anger turns into feeling angry or my acting angry turns into feeling angry. And so I move away from, from mind coolness. Again, it's not perception causes anger, which then causes anger expression, but rather perception together with the goal causes anger expression, which then causes anger. So you don't have to feel angry in order to express anger, but you will at some point start to feel angry when you repeatedly express anger. See how this works? Of course, it can work in both ways, but that's one way I'm looking at yeah, right now. So think about it this way. When you build up the feeling of anger by expressing anger, your expression will become more authentic and thus your goal achievement more likely. Makes sense, doesn't it? So the mechanisms yeah, evolved um, yeah, really to... I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, let's move on here. So only when you're conditioned to impulsively express your anger and have little to no control over it, will your anger, expression of anger and your feeling of anger rise and wane in concert. Impulsivity turns your anger into an effective communication tool. So when, you, when your anger builds up without your conscious control and so something happens, someone cuts you off in traffic and you are immediately angry, then that's good and so far it's, as it's a really authentic anger, that's what I meant with that, um, and it's a highly effective communication tool, but it also diverts you from mindfulness because now you're truly in a state of anger, you're expressing your anger because you actually feel angry, not the other way around as I was explaining earlier. And people will more readily react to what you say when you're actually in a state of anger, but your mind won't be at ease. So what can you do about it if the coolness of your mind is important to you? Well, first of all, stay away from negative people. Stay away from stupid people. Stay away from people who don't respect you or your time. Stay away from people who piss you off. And if you can't, keep in mind how talking grumpy, raising your voice or yelling affects your internal states. As I said, sometimes you wanna, um, yeah, scream, raise your voice, talk grumpy, yell to express anger and to make yourself be heard and to affect other people's behaviors. But yeah, if you do that too much, you'll actually feel anger. Sometimes you'll, you're even, you might even be in a state where you want to feel angry, but that's not a yeah, mentally healthy um, state to be or yeah, even wish. Because uh, yeah, at least in, in terms of my um, mind coolness paradigm, that's not what you want at all. Um, yeah, postscriptum, if you suffer from 
anger, anger issues you might like the willpower needed to control yourself and now moving back into another marketing pitch or yeah whatever it is so let's skip that and let's move on to the last blog post here personal experience is as unreliable as science it works for me oh does it does that new does that new diet work does that supplement work should you eat carbs and or protein pre-workout or post-workout or both there are two general ways to answer such questions you can either look at scientific studies or you can gain personal experience however both approaches are flawed grounding your dietary decisions in new scientific studies is unreliable because it is almost impossible to get unbiased funding for well-conducted long-term studies with healthy athletic subjects and precise control over the foods and the calories and the macro, macro and micronutrients that are actually consumed, as well as the subject's lifestyle activity and further factors, such as are they adapted to fasting, are they adapted to ketosis and so forth. But the unbiased funding for yeah, well-conducted longer studies and the subjects that they're healthy and athletic, athletic, that's the huge problem here. And also, statistical averages don't necessarily provide optimal guidelines for unique bodies with individual demands. We're all different and we have different needs, different bodies, different circumstances, different lifestyles, different activity levels throughout the day. You can't rely on a statistical average to know what supplements you need, what uh, how, how you should um, eat protein and carbs and, and all this stuff. But <clears throat> yeah, now you would say, okay, then let's find out with personal experimentation. But yeah, grounding your dietary decisions and personal experience through trial and error testing is yeah also unreliable, not only because of cognitive biases, but also because it's impossible to keep all other variables constant. When you want to know, say, whether a supplement works for you, you have to look at how your desired outcome variable changes in response to taking the supplement. <clears throat> the desired outcome variable could, for example, be increased strength, performance, more muscle mass, shorter recovery time, elevated well-being, better skin condition, higher energy levels, greater sex drive, what have you. While you look at how your desired outcome variable changes when you take the supplement compared to when you don't. <coughs> Excuse me, my throat is killing me. So uh, let's repeat the, the last sentence. So while you look at how your desired outcome variable, so the goal you want to achieve, changes when you take the supplement compared to when you don't take the supplement, everything else in your life must stay constant. And this is impossible. Just ask yourself, do you always eat exactly the same foods and exactly the same amount of macro macronutrients every day? Do you always cook your food exactly the same way? Duration, temperature, etc. And is it always equally fresh? Same amount of micronutrients. 
Is there absolutely no variation in any drugs or other supplements you take? Is your sleep duration and sleep quality constant every single night? Are all your workouts and workdays, which affect your energy balance, equally intense? Are your social and sexual life, with all their stressors and stress relievers, the same every day? Does the weather, which affects your hormones, always stay the same? Are your thought patterns always equally positive? Is your willpower momentum always equally positive? Since you just can't answer any every single question with yes, you can't really claim that a certain supplement works for you. People often say it works for me when they give advice, even though they might actually not have solid reasons to believe that. They can't even exclude a placebo effect. Usually people believe that something works for them simply because it agrees with their other beliefs. For coherence of beliefs allows them to develop trust. And trust is the most, most crucial factor here. But how can you develop trust when you're a critical thinker who knows about cognitive biases, confounding subconscious factors and the problem of holding variables constant? Well, here's what I do and yeah, I don't know any better approach, but yeah, that's what I do. I try to be honest to myself. I reflect on cultural hype, on marketing strategies, for example, especially from supplement companies. I reflect on new scientific findings and recommendations um, all from various fitness gurus and stuff and on how all of them might have biased my mind. I study the basic scientific, scientific principles of human nutrition, physiology, cognition, cognition, motivation and performance because you can rely much better on scientific principles than on novel scientific findings. And I test every new dietary change for at least three weeks while doing my best to hold all other variables constant. For example, I always eat the same food every day, only the type of meat I eat changes. And that's already a variable, small as it may be, that I yeah have to take into account that it's not a real constant. Um, yeah, but enough of that. And also I measure my desired outcome variable precisely. So I always yeah, have my, my training log where I write down, for example, so my strength performance, where I write down sets and reps and weights I lifted every day, and also how long I my workout I yeah it took me to get my workout done um, because usually when I feel less um, uh, energetic or when I feel a bit fatigued, I man usually manage to get the same strength performance or increase my strength performance but my workouts become much longer. So that's also just if, if this workout duration or a few pauses between sets change, then all the, the whole picture of everything you eat, sleep, do, think about and feel and whatever, um, it, it all, yeah, um, changes and um, it's really, really hard to keep it all constant or yeah, it doesn't change 
because of that, but you know what I mean. I'm talking myself into a mess right now. I think just that everybody should have some personal standards to fulfill before he claims it works for me. Because usually we have no idea what actually works for us, except for yeah the basic stuff like eat unprocessed foods. And, but that's again a principle. So base your life on principle. That's always way easier than, yeah, new studies. New studies usually don't say shit. And yeah, so that's more than half an hour today. Um, yeah, I wonder how many people will listen, will ever listen to this podcast. I don't know if, <laughs> if I myself will even listen to it again <clears throat> yeah but yeah it's all for the practice of it still gonna upload it and yeah see you guys next time